It's been a big week at Phoenix Bible Church, uh, not just this morning of worship, but really the, the whole week. In fact, last weekend, uh, we kind of kicked it off with a youth winter retreat. By the way, our first ever youth winter retreat. And um, my daughter was one of those youth, and so I got to hear firsthand just how powerful it was, how fun it was. They did zip lines in the snow. All right, you can't get better than that. And they, they most importantly, they learned about Jesus. And uh, man, if you haven't met Marco, our new youth director, uh, he's in this service. He'll be back around talking to people. Uh, he's just a great guy to meet, whether you're in youth or not. Uh, and if you want to serve in any way, great guy to meet as well. And then on Thursday night, we had our first sort of college ministry relaunch in this room. We had almost 70 college students on Thursday night. Uh, and we just want to celebrate that. Man, it was so cool to see. I was here to see college students lifting their hands to Jesus, but see also them sitting around round tables, really talking about what's going on in their life. And that's going to happen the first, uh, the third Thursday, rather, of every month. So that's coming again, college students, if you missed that. And then we got the PVC Kids Lunch right here after the service. So, so much going on right now that we need to celebrate and be involved in, especially with our next generation. I'm so excited from kids to youth, to college, to adults, that, that we have a church who wants to look out for our future and not just ourselves and see Christ magnified in the city of Phoenix to see his glory put on display for years and years to come. And a lot of that's happening, uh, whether you know it or not. So I just want to acknowledge that briefly. But today we are wrapping up a series called You Are Not Alone. And we're talking about conflict. And in fact, next Sunday, if you'd like to know where we're headed, we're starting a brand new series entitled Chasing the Wind. And we're gonna go through the book of Ecclesiastes for 10 weeks. We're gonna really just dive into that book. And so next Sunday, we'd love for you to come back. You'll get an Ecclesiastes journal with the scripture right there. You can take notes and read along with us through that series. But today, we're, we're, we're ending this series with, with conflict. Uh, and it is... Uh, appropriate that we're entitling this series, You Are Not Alone, uh, and talking about conflict, because conflict is something we all experience. I think the most vivid example we see in this is, is premarital counseling. My wife and I, we do premarital counseling with a lot of couples, uh, but we did premarital counseling ourselves 17 years ago. <laughs> long time ago. Uh, we went through that process ourselves, and the, the curriculum really hasn't changed. Uh, there's one chapter entitled Conflict, but every chapter is about conflict, right? Like when you talk about sex and premarital counseling, you're talking about conflict. When you talk about finances and premarital counseling, you're talking about how to navigate conflict. Come on, somebody. Uh, in-laws, you're really just talking about conflict, right? And if your in-laws are here, don't look at them right now. Right? Just look down. Say, not me. Not, that's not us. But it's all about conflict. And I remember going through this and like, you have to take notes and go through this curriculum and we have to come home and talk about it. And so I went through the process, but, but it didn't really set in for me. In fact, I remember telling my wife, like, baby, I, I know this is the way for people out there, but they don't know what we got. Like, we're, we're gonna be the exception to the rule. We're not gonna have all this conflict that everybody speaks of. And, and I remember that lasted till our wedding day. You see, uh, the night after our wedding, um, I planned our honeymoon, and I planned us uh, to fly out at 6.30 the next morning to Cabo San Lucas. And you're thinking, Tim, that's, that's great. What's wrong with that? Well, I married an Indian woman. And in an Indian wedding and with an Indian family, a wedding is not a two-hour event. It's a two-day celebration, 
Right? And some of that's cultural, but some of that's practical. Like, and it was for us. We had families that flew across the world to come to our wedding. And yet I geniusly just jetted us off to Mexico at 6.30 the next morning. Let me just tell you, my wife and I had some conflict. But not just my wife and I. My wife and I knew like the two become one. We're a new family. We had like familial conflict with her family as a family. But it wasn't just that. I forgot my bathroom back. And so when we get to Mexico, we're so excited slash still dealing with the conflict of our family. And I forgot my bathroom bag, and I realized that. So we had to go to the only store we saw was Costco in Mexico. And so I have a Costco membership in Mexico, or I did once upon a time, uh, that I paid for for one visit. I I bought 10 sticks of deodorant when I needed one, right? And let me just tell you, we had some conflict. Do, Do you see, we literally, like we were in the literal honeymoon phase, and we had conflict, Does everybody experience conflict? You can say yes in church. Yes, right? Some of y'all got like halos around your head. You're like, no, I do not. Not not me and my wife. You're holding your hand tighter. We all experience conflict. Like we're all different in this room, different cultures, backgrounds, ethnicities. Some of you are church. Some of you are unchurched. Some of you are Christian. Some of you are not Christian. Some of you are married. Some of you are single. Here's the one thing we all have in common, conflict. Right? The question is not if, it's how you will navigate it. Right? And so we're going to go to God's word. And believe it or not, God's word has a lot to say about conflict. Uh, some of people say the, the Bible's not relevant. You heard that? They've never read the Bible. <laughs> right? The Bible is the most relevant book in all of history. It, it has conflict woven throughout the whole thing. In fact, our New Testament, if you look at it, the Apostle Paul He wrote about two-thirds of our New Testament, and many of it's, he's writing letters to churches addressing conflict, theological conflict, spiritual conflict, financial conflict, sexual conflict. First Corinthians, that's what it is. Have you read that book? It's like TMZ. I mean, the things he's addressing and talking about is crazy, and guess what? It's 16 chapters of that, addressing conflict, addressing conflict. And he wrote a second Corinthians because 16 chapters wasn't enough, right? And, and you see this in the reality. When you look at the things like that, like there is conflict because if there wasn't, you know how 1 Corinthians wouldn't be 16 chapters. It would be one verse that simply said, keep up the good work. Because everybody's at peace. Everybody doing great, right? No, the reality is we have conflict. The Bible addresses that and teaches us how to navigate real life with God's word. So that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to give you a gospel paradigm for conflict and a gospel process for conflict. If you take notes, you can write these down. If you have your journal, you can write it down in there. Uh, I'm going to go through this this story and kind of just walk through it, read a little bit, talk about it. We're going to get this paradigm. And then we're going to go through a really practical process for how to handle conflict. That's something you're going to want to write down, take pictures of, look at those verses later in the week because we're going to go through it fast. But I think it'll be helpful for you. So Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be right now. So if you have a Bible, head there. If you have a phone, head there. It'll also be on the screen. But Mark 10, 35 through 45. 
And as you turn there, here's some context as we sort of parachute into this passage of what's going on in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Jesus is literally about one week away from the cross. In fact, he's on a road. They're, they're walking a lot as disciples, and he's headed towards his death. In fact, he's explained his death now in Mark chapter 10 three times in three chapters. And that's important because I want that to frame. Here's what the disciples ask in the midst of that. Okay, so let's look at it together. Mark 10, verse 35, it says this. It says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, interestingly enough, Mark 3, Jesus calls James and John, not the sons of Zebedee, but the sons of thunder. And those aren't pro wrestlers, they're disciples, just so everybody's clear. Uh, They come up to Jesus and say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's great, right? Parents, this is essentially what your kids do when they come up to you and they say, hey, I have a question for you, but before I ask it, you have to promise ahead of time to say yes, okay? And I don't know how you are as parents, like I don't know how you roll, maybe you say like, hey, let's just start over. Let's, let's ask that in a different way. Or, or maybe some of you, you're just like, I don't care what the question is now, no. Like the answer is no. Like in fact, go clean your room, right? And so I don't know how you deal with that, but Jesus is more patient than us, Amen. He deals with it differently. Here's what he says. He says, verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? So nice and patient. And listen to what they ask. Again, Jesus has said three times in three chapters, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And this is what they ask. Verse 37. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your Glory. Do you ever worry that you're going to say the wrong thing to Jesus? Like, you know, when you're praying to God, are you kind of worried, like, am I going to say something wrong that he's never heard before? You don't need to worry. (laughs) Right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he's told them this three different times. I'm going to die a bloody, gruesome death on a cross. I'm going to take the holy wrath of God on myself, I'm going to take the gruesome sin of mankind on myself, and yet they ask, hey, can I sit at this throne or this throne? Like, do I get gold or bronze? It's gonna be glorious, Jesus. How's it gonna work? And yet again, Jesus graciously responds. I don't know if I've been that gracious, but thankfully Jesus is. Verse 38, he says to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? That cup and baptism, it's, it's Old Testament imagery referring to the wrath of God for sin. He says, hey, I, I don't know if you caught it. I'm going to a cross. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be gruesome. It's going to be weighty. Are you sure that's what you want? You see, as you just kind of picture the cross there were someone on his left and someone on his right, but it was criminals on crosses, not kings on thrones. And Jesus is saying, you sure you wanna be on my right and left? And I just, I love their response. It's, it's bold and brief. Look at verse 39. It says, they said to him, we are able. We got this, Jesus. I love the message translation. It says, sure, why not? Cup, wrath, 
but there's a throne involved, right? Like, why not? And they still don't get it. So Jesus, in his grace, he begins to lay out this paradigm, this gospel paradigm, not just for conflict, but for all of life, as clearly as he can make it. So let's lean in and listen to what he says. Jesus says to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Jesus says, hey, don't worry about suffering. Like, you're going to experience that. You think you're able for that? And you know, if you read the Gospels, you read the book of Acts, they experienced suffering. And so he's honest with them about that. Verse 40, he says, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. You gotta picture this moment. We don't know why they were mad. They could have been mad because they wish they had had this idea. They wish they were spending this time on Amazon looking up thrones like, oh, get the gold one, Peter. It's gonna be great for you. Maybe they, maybe they were just mad of like, dang it, why didn't we do that? Or maybe they were just mad that their friends, their, their closest team was working against them. But sharp language, you know that? Indignant, they had conflict. Verse 42, so Jesus calls them together. He calls them over to him and says to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." It's a gospel paradigm for life and for conflict. And you need to see these two key words that he gives, Gentiles and greatness. You say, why is that key? Why is that significant? Well, well, Gentiles was identity. He's saying, hey, there are rulers of Gentiles. There are people, Gentiles, people who don't know God, who have to rule over people. That's what they wrap themselves in, is this sort of authority of lording over people. And he's saying, not so with you. You're not Gentiles, you are believers. You have the God of the universe, the one who hung the stars in the sky, he loves you, he knows you, that's who you are. And so you don't lord over people, you, you love people. See, Jesus takes them back to their identity because much conflict arises and escalates because we don't know who we are. You have conflict at your work because you think that position, that title on your business card, you think that's who you are. And you might say, well, no, no, Tim, I know that's not encompassing of who I am. Like, I know it's just what I do. But we don't respond in conflict like that. Somebody threatens your job, a coworker, your, your boss with a bad review. You come home, maybe you lose your job and you've been distraught. Some of you have been there. You're like, well, who am I really if I'm not a pastor who am I really if I'm not an attorney? Who am I really if I'm not this position or this title? And a lot of conflict arises and even escalates because we don't know who we are. And Jesus wants to make sure, hey, here's the paradigm. You're not like the Gentiles. You actually know God. You're loved by God. You can lose your job. You can lose a friend. You can even lose a spouse. And that does not have to wreck you. You do not have to defend yourself and have conflict that escalates because you know who your identity is in. 
but he doesn't just talk about Gentiles. He talks about greatness. And he doesn't rebuke greatness. He, he redefines greatness. Did you notice that? He, he said, yeah, greatness, let me, just, let me just reshape the definition for you. It's not that you go high, you actually go low. Like earlier in Mark 10, he said, the first will be last and the last will be first. They didn't get it the first time, so he's telling them again, hey, you know how to win in life? You know how to have success in life? You know how to be great in life? You go low. You serve. What does that have to do with conflict? It's your whole paradigm. How many times do you get in conflict with your spouse, with your friend, with somebody in our church because you think, I deserve that. I'm entitled to that. I'm going high because you know what? That's where greatness is. I'm going high. I'm gonna sit in that throne. And if somebody else is sitting in that throne, if somebody else is in my way of getting to the throne, then I have to take them out and I have to despise them for it. And I have to publicly rebuke them on Facebook for it. Because you think greatness is going high. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You got it all wrong. Let's flip it on its side. It's going low. You see how this changes conflict? If you get this? Do you, do you guys get this paradigm? If, if you raised your hand, I would have said we could go. <laughs> but, but I don't know if we always get this, right? So we need a process to handle conflict when we experience it, right? So here's our, our process. Gospel process for conflict. Here's the first thing. You can write this down. Don't mistake differences for weaknesses. As you do experience conflict, start with this paradigm, but as you experience conflict, go through a process. The first thing I want you to, to say is don't mistake differences. 1 Corinthians 12, listen to what it says. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single mem member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body, listen, that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. I love that. Paul makes it clear. Hey, not only do we have different parts, differences in the same body that we actually need, like he gives the illustration, like an eye, uh, everybody can be eyes, we need feet, we need all these different parts of the body. Like we need differences, but he also specifically says the part that seems weaker, that you judge, at least privately in your heart, they're actually indispensable. And yet, how many times do we have conflict because we don't see differences, we see weaknesses? We don't see like, hey, some people think they should wear masks and some people don't. Let's all love each other. We don't see that. Otherwise, I mean, if you, you've been asleep for two years, right? We don't see that. We, the, the cloth or whatever material your mask is made out of, which is probably superior, that, that's become like, it's not a difference because you read some articles and I read some articles. It's a, a weakness, right? You think about in marriage, we all have different personalities and gifts and strengths and and, and yet, I don't know how many couples my wife and I have counseled. We usually go through the, like the strengths finder and we come up like their five strengths and maybe one of them is like informed. This is a person who's very good in research and knows a lot about different things and just loves looking up stuff and vacations. He's just really knowledgeable. And we're like, oh, that could actually be a great thing to help other people flourish. And you just see like the wife like looking so bitter at him right now. And she's just like, yeah, he's a know-it-all. Is that a strength? 
You're like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about that because you don't need to be a know-it-all and maybe you are kind of a jerk and how can we remanufacture that gift and, and help other people flourish, not just make you look awesome. But the reality is it can be a strength, but we don't see it that way. We see differences as weaknesses and therefore we have conflict. So I would ask you, do you have relationships right now that you have conflict in where you see differences as weaknesses and that causes the conflict to arise and escalate? We need each other. We need our differences. The second thing is ask, can I overlook this? When you're in conflict, ask, can I overlook this? Proverbs 19.11 says it this way, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Here's the reality. I love you, so I'm going to be honest with you. Some of y'all just love to fight. Like Jesus flipping over tables in the temple, that's your life verse. And you got it tatted on your forearm. Man, you just love, and, and just, by the way, I would say, hey, you're not Jesus, so stop quoting that verse when you're mean to people, okay? And by the way, read the whole gospel. Like Jesus did that one time. Not every day on Facebook, okay? One time, one day, Man, we love to fight. I would say if you had a top 10 list for like verses we ignore in the Bible in 2022, it'd be all the ones about being quarrelsome. We just ignore like the second half of James. <laughs> like, yeah, James is like, no, 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 your tongue, it's like a spark. It can light up whole forest. And yet in the church, and I'm guilty of this too, no, we, we hammer on sexual sin. We hammer on financial scandals. And yet somebody uh, talks like really rudely to people or belittles people with their words. And we're like, well, she's just kind of spunky. <laughs> I mean, he's just kind of extroverted. I mean, you know, like he will give it to, he's not scared of anybody. We almost laud it, don't we? And yet scripture says, it's actually your glory, glory to overlook an offense. Actually quarrelsome that's a sin. And so sometimes we need to look at our conflict and see, hey, can I overlook this? And maybe you're wondering, well, Tim, how? It's kind of hard to navigate. Like, which ones do I bring up? Which ones do I let slide? I'm gonna give you two questions. The first one is this. Is it sin or is it preference? You experience that conflict. Should I bring it up? Tim said, it's my glory to overlook an offense. The Bible most importantly said that. Should I bring it up or not? Is it sin or is it preference? Because you may have to read the Bible Novel idea before you go talk to somebody about the conflict and see, like, examine, is this sin or is it my preference? Second question, is this damaging that other person's witness? Maybe it's not explicit sin, but you're like, man, if I don't talk to this guy about it, I mean, he doesn't realize people are watching him, people are watching her, and it's affecting, it's informing the way they view Jesus, and it's not in a good way. Or, or maybe it's this, because I'm associated with that person, it's damaging my witness, and so you need to have that conversation. Those are times where you do need to talk about it. Right? Of course, times of trauma, abuse, total separate category. You need to talk about things, those things with that person and maybe not with a mediator. You need to go to the cops, whatever the case, you need to go to a pastor, counselor. But here, here's the reality. As you ask those questions, the majority of the time, you could overlook something. Like with your spouse, with that friend. And God would bless that. Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. Not the ones who are always looking for a fight. So you need to ask, is, is this something can I overlook? Uh, the third thing, attack the problem, not the person. Again, the Bible is really relevant. Galatians 6.1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, here's what we often do in conflict. We're 
all or nothing. We're lashing out passive-aggressive comments on Facebook or we stuff it. Right? And we come along, maybe in Christian community or with a pastor or with a counselor, and they're saying, hey, this seems like you're still dealing with, this, this person hurt you, whatever the case may be, this conflict is sort of hovering over you, and, and have you thought about bringing it up? And what do we say? No, that would be awkward. Right? And so we, we just hold it in, and we're just like, I'm just, I don't need to talk about this, I'm just going to let it fester, just let it percolate until one day you explode on somebody, right? And it's like we forget, like you can speak the truth in love. Like Matthew 18, everybody's favorite church discipline passage, which by the way, if you get stoked about church discipline, maybe you're attacking people, not the problem. And sometimes people will come to me and like, I can just tell, geeked up, ready to go like, what's your strategy for church discipline? What's your policy? And they're like, they're ready to get after somebody? <laughs> like, let's calm that down, right? Let's not attack people. Let's not, we don't enjoy that. And by the way, Matthew 18, as it talks about confronting people in their sin, it says to do it gently, restore them gently. Galatians 6.1, confront them, but do it gently. You attack problems, not the person. You debate points. You don't destroy people, Right? You don't use superlatives like, hey, you never do this. Hey, you always do this. You attack the problem in that moment, right? That's how we handle conflict. And for some of us, Matthew 7, 5, will say, hey, before you get the speck out of somebody else's eye, hey, why don't you get the log out of your eye? Hey, for some of us, it's the reality of like, hey, we may not need to address this conflict at all, ever, it's your glory to overlook an offense. But for some of us, it's, we may not need to address that yet. Because before you go to them and say, here's all the things I hate about you, maybe you need to look in your own heart and say, search me, oh God. Is there any offensive ways in me? And maybe you need to own your 1%. And listen, don't tell them that when you talk to them. I just want to let you know I'm sorry for my 1%. Like you're 99, can we talk about that now? No, like just own what you, like own 100% of your 1%, right? And then talk to them about their conflict, right? Because you attack the, the problem, not the person, right? Here, here's the next thing. You listen to understand more than you speak to be understood. Anybody convicted? Okay. Proverbs 18.2 says it this way, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. James 1, be quick to listen, slow to speak, uh, a guy named Brad Hambrick, an author and professor in Christian counseling, said it this way, the vast majority of communication problems are not expression problems, they are listening problems. It's what your grandmother said, you got two ears, you got one mouth. And there's a reason for that. And many times our conflict arises or it escalates because we're too quick to speak and too slow to listen. Here's the deal. In, in your marriage, in your friendship, with your roommates, whatever the case may be, when you have conflict and you don't take time to listen and you're just, you can't wait to just get your dissertation out, your three-point sermon out, all of y'all become preachers in that moment. When you are doing that, here's what you're saying. My thoughts are more interesting and important than yours are. Right? And so the Bible is gonna tell us over and over, now you need to listen. A fool just expresses his opinions. 
See, my wife and I, we've been married almost 16 years. And I can tell you this confidently, without going through like a replay of our marriage, there hasn't been a moment where my wife has come home and said, hey, I had a really tough day. This interaction with this person was really hard. I'm really concerned about this. I'm really not sure what to do about this. And where I interrupted her and said, you know what, babe? You know what the Bible says about that? I'm not done yet. But you, I, but God told me to tell you that this conflict, it got, God's gonna give you a peace that surpasses understanding. He works all things together. For, but I'm not finished talking about my complaint yet. I know, girl, but Romans 8.28. There hasn't been one time where I did that and she walked away or told me afterwards, you know what, I did have that conflict, but now I realize how silly it was. Thank you so much, Tim. Mm -mm. (laughs) 16 years, that hasn't happened once. Why? Because the process, the gospel process for conflict, you listen, you empathize. Does there need to be a solution? Yeah, we'll get to that. But first, you listen before you speak. You, you, you understand, and some of you think, I don't know how to do that. Because <laughs> nobody listens to each other, right? And so here's what I would say, just quite simply, ask questions. When you've asked a few questions, ask more questions. When you've asked all the questions you can think of to ask, repeat what they said back to them. Because many times in conflict, people just want to be heard, amen? Wives, amen? Husbands, Amen? You just want to be heard. You want to be understood. And that can diffuse so much conflict if you just listen. The next thing is don't qualify your apology. James 5, 16 says it this way. Confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Don't qualify your apology. Don't say, I'm sorry, but. Parents, we do this, don't we? Like, hey, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I'm sorry it just kind of got out of hand. I'm sorry I said those things. But if you would just pick up your Legos, <laughs> I wouldn't have to do that. If you would just do what I said the first time, but I'm sorry, is that an apology? No. Right? Don't say, hey, I'm sorry if your feelings were hurt. Listen, that's not an apology. That's a veiled insult, right? Here's what you're saying. I'm sorry you're a crybaby. That's another insult. That's another conflict that you need to apologize for. Don't don't qualify your apology. Martin Luther, the old theologian, said all of life is repentance. He wasn't just talking about vertically between you and God. He's talking about you horizontally with one another. And couples, it's been said, they don't fall out of love, they fall out of repentance, All of life is repentance. Like we need to just, here's how you do it. I'm sorry I was wrong, period, right? Let's just practice that together. That'd be fun, right? Some of you are like, no, I'm not saying it. (laughs) Let's say it together, ready? One, two, three, I'm sorry I was wrong. You guys ready? I don't think you're ready. Okay, one, two, three, I'm sorry I was wrong. Some of you mumbled. <laughs> and that's why your relationships are so hard. Because you're like, man, I have an expansive vocabulary, but I can't say those words. Don't qualify your apology. Just walk in repentance. Say, I'm sorry, 
I was wrong. Just, just try it this week in your conflict. See what happens. Yeah. The next thing, don't condition your forgiveness. I gotta go way faster. Colossians chapter two. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses. And then he gives us the definition of forgiveness. Verse 14, Colossians 2, by canceling the record of debt. Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Ken Sandy, a guy who wrote a book called The Peacemaker, read that. It delves way more into this stuff. He said it this way, because Christians are the most forgiven people in the world, like we've been forgiven the most, we should also be the most forgiving people in the world as well. That forgiven people forgive. Listen, the way you forgive other people demonstrates what you believe about the gospel. See, if you believe, hey, I get into heaven because I have done this, because I have checked these religious boxes. Hey, I have a relationship with God because I'm mostly a good person. If you got to the end of my life, I think you would like weigh the, the pros and the cons and, and I would get in and I would still be approved by God. If that's your version of the gospel, then you will struggle to forgive other people. But if your version of the gospel is, God, I am broken, that all my righteous deeds are as filthy rags before you, and I need you, I'm desperate for you, I'm deserving only of wrath, and yet you give me grace and relationship and life and eternity. If that's your version of the gospel, as you have been forgiven, then you will start to forgive like that. The last thing, don't waste your conflict. James 1, 2 through 4 talks about this. As you encounter various trials, conflicts, hey, those are actually producing perseverance. If you stick with them, that's how God actually makes you mature and complete in Christ. Like, don't waste the conflict. See, here's the reality. Many of us, we just hop out of conflict too soon. Conflict in that friendship, you're dead to me. You're not my friend anymore. Conflict in that marriage over the course of years, let's get a divorce. Conflict in that church, there's lots of churches in Phoenix, I'll just find a new church. And you're too quick to hop out of conflict because here's what you find. As you go to the new church, as you go to the new friendship, as you go to the new spouse, what you find is new conflict. Except you no longer have the relational equity with those people that you did spend all that time with to talk about it. I, I talked to a guy recently who they had left their church after many years. And I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but he was just lamenting that, hey, in this new church, I don't know who to go to in the midst of conflict. I don't know who to trust. And he's in a community group. He's doing all the right things, membership class, whatever. But he's just like, man, this previous, oh, we were there for like 10, 12 years. And I just, I knew people, I knew who to trust. And, and now I don't know where to go. Don't waste the conflict. Don't be too quick to hop out. Are there times where you need to hop out? Yes, let's talk about that afterwards. But I would say our normal inclination is to hop out too quick. And we miss out on what James 1 says, maturity and completeness in Christ. See, I was reading several studies this week and it would talk about, hey, all the research we've done, here's what it says, is that it's actually, it could be healthy for you to go through conflict for your growth and understanding in life. And I just, as I read all this research that was done, I just thought, I hope they didn't spend too much money on the research because they could have just read the Bible because that's what it says, amen? 
Conflict can be good if we go through it in a godly, in a biblical, in a humble way. It can be the very way that God produces maturity in your life. And yet if we hop out of that, we're missing out on that maturity that Christ so wants for you. So don't waste the conflict. Psalm 37 says, commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him. Walk through it with godly community. And he will use it to produce fruit in your life and in the lives of others. Don't miss out on that. Some of you today, here's your application as we close. Some of you today, you need to be writing down the name or the action step of the person you're gonna go to after this sermon. Because you're thinking of him. You're thinking of her. Again, for some of you, she's sitting next to you. Don't look around. Right? And you know why you are thinking of that person or that conflict? The Holy Spirit. You're here not by accident, but by appointment. God brought you here to hear a sermon on conflict in 2022 because he knows you got some. And he knows you want to avoid it. And he knows he wants to make you complete through it. So some of you today, you just need to write down, I'm gonna text that person, I'm gonna call that girl, I'm gonna, I'm gonna meet with that person for coffee. I had to do this this week. I didn't just study this sermon, it studied me. And this week I got convicted and just, hey, there's somebody that I have conflict with that I've known for seven years, but I haven't talked to in seven months. And I need to practice what I preach. And so we got coffee in two weeks. I'll let you know how it goes, right? Who is that person? God's calling, go speak the truth in love. Go address the, go listen. Start with a paradigm of, hey, greatness is going low. Yeah, if I text him, maybe I'll seem weak. Greatness is going low. You're great. You send that text today, greatness has been achieved by you, amen? You go meet that person for coffee. You say, I'm sorry, but I was wrong to your wife today. Men, you know how to win in life. That's how you win, and many times we're like, Tim, I can't do it. I can't, I can't get low. I don't want her to win. I don't want him to win. If I say that, if I initiate, they will win. Let me ask you this. If you win in that way, what do you end up losing? Your integrity, your reputation, your, your very relationship, but I won. What'd you win? Jesus, new paradigm. Here's how you win. Here's how you'd be great. You go low, you apologize. Don't qualify your apology. Don't condition your forgiveness. Listen to be a Christ follower in conflict. That's what it looks like. So you need to go to that person. Be great. Let's be great today. Hey, this is like a football pep talk for you. Go be great today. How? Apologize. Bring up the conflict. Speak the truth in love. Great things will happen. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time. God, I pray that we would be compelled by your spirit right now to go address the conflict that exists in our lives, to do so, do so empowered by your spirit, equipped by your word, in the name of Jesus. And God, that you might bless that. You say, blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. May we be a big room of peacemakers today. God, I thank you that in the greatest conflict in all of history, the cross of Jesus Christ, you brought resurrection and you brought redemption for our lives vertically with you and resolving our conflict with the Holy God, but also for our lives with one another. That resolution and redemption 
in our conflict with one another, even in that conflict, it feels like it's just too far gone. It is possible. And the way we know that is we can look at the greatest conflict in history, the death of Jesus Christ, and we can see he beat death to show us no conflict is beyond resolution in Christ. Help us to see it that way. Help us to most importantly respond in light of that truth today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.